I love that we just got to sing that song about fresh wind, that the Lord is speaking into our church right now. I mean, literally watching these kids up here, the Lord is speaking fresh wind into families. There's nothing more powerful than that, the idea that God is actually moving on our praise. And so I would, I would just challenge you, if you're here and this is maybe your first time or you're not normally here, uh, to just make your heart available to hear. I'm not normally the guy that stands up here and opens the word of God and talks. So I just want to challenge you to make yourself available. My name is Gage Henry, and I get to be the college and community pastor here. And I got one person excited about that, but, <laughs> um, but it's also my first Mother's Day um, as a father. So my wife, my wife is, uh, we have a seven-month-old Griffin, and um, yes, he's, he's awesome. And, and so I'm trying not to mess this up, people, to be honest. <laughs> But it's her first Mother's Day. We're real excited. My mom is going to be here today. My grandmother is going to be here today. And it's just so exciting to be here with you guys today. I was actually talking to my mom this week. And I was like, Mom, do you remember anything about me growing up in Mother's Day this time of the year? Anything? It's funny. She was like, I actually have a very clear memory. And it was when she explained allergies to me. Like, you go outside and all of a sudden you get sick. Like, I didn't understand that as a kid. So I asked her. And so a few days later, I come into the house. And I had skinned my knee pretty bad. And my mom's like, what happened? And I, I look at her and I say, Mom, I think I'm allergic to the driveway. <laughs> and that's a memory that she's like, honestly, that's my Mother's Day memory of you. I'm like, all right, I, I guess I'm allergic to the driveway. Some other of us are still allergic to many other things outside. But I'm excited, though, to be a part of this. I'm excited to be a part of what this church is doing. I'm excited to be a part of what Mother's Day and what's been happening. And we've been in this series called The Way. And this is week two of The Way. And it's really simple. It's Christianity 101. We learned last week. This is what Christianity looks like. It's these three things. I'm going to put it on the screen again. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then doing what Jesus did. And this isn't like, you know, the, the super Christian person. This is literally what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means these three things. And so our challenge that we just heard Miles talked about at the start of the service is, who are you going to be in August? What decisions are you creating right now that's determining the future you? And I believe that this summer... It could be powerful in your life if you begin to actually do these three things. So the two questions we've been asking with listening and doing, how am I intentionally creating space to listen to God, and what action do I need to take to walk in obedience to God? And it's built upon this idea that Jesus is always speaking, but we're not always available to listen. But if we create the space in our lives, then guess what? He'll fill it. And so last week when I was sitting there and, and I was wondering, like, okay, what does this look like? And I think there's different types of people in the room, if we're honest with ourselves. There's some of us in the room, and, you know, honestly, God's voice to your life would be an unwelcome interruption, and I get that. Like, stay, stay available to hear from him. There's another group of us that there's, you know, you want to hear from God, but you don't want to put in the work, you know what I'm talking about? And I think we've gotten really good. This is a dangerous tendency I see as a college pastor and our college students. You have a dangerous tendency to love the secondhand messaging of God but not the firsthand messaging, meaning you like spend a lot of time listening to all the sermons and all the podcasts, and you love those. You love when somebody else explains the Bible to you, but for yourself, it's like, I just don't really want to get in there. Or, or you do this one. I do this all the time. Where I'm like, hey, could you pray for me about this? And I'm like, I haven't even prayed for me about that. You know, like I'm waiting to hear the secondhand messaging, and I just want to challenge you. You have to create the space. So this is the group of us in number three, which is I want to hear from God. I want to create this space. But honestly, I don't know how. How do I create the space to listen to the voice of God? How do I do this? How do I pay attention? Because do I just go in my room and sit in silence? Or I, I talk to college students a lot who tell me, look, I have ADHD, 
look, I have dyslexia, and they begin to give me the long list of reasons why God can't talk to them. And I'm just like, look, the God of the universe wants a relationship with you, and it's going to be personal. It means individualized communication with you. It means that don't give me the list of reasons why I can't talk to you because he created you. And it gets me excited knowing that, guess what? All I have to do is make myself available, my heart available. So today, what I want to say to all of you is that we've been looking at this the wrong way. And I believe the way that God actually speaks to us, our how is not rooted in what you can do, but it's actually rooted in who Jesus already is. And you're about to find out why. But my title for this sermon is going to be called Remain in Me. Remain in Me. So go ahead and tell your neighbor, stay put right there. Stay put right there. About to find out. Remain in me. So, who is God? Father, Son, Spirit. There's this relationship, the Trinity we talk about. It's kind of hard to understand. Who is God? God describes himself, though. We spend a lot of time talking about God in Exodus, and he gives us a name. God has a name, and it's Yahweh, which in our translation is I am who I am, or it's I will be who I will be. I am who I am. And then he gives us his nature, and we've talked a ton about this, and Miles talked about it in a series called Trust the Story. You should go back and watch it. It's powerful. Talked about how the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, but, but forgives the wickedness and rebellion and sin, yet does not leave the guilty unpunished, and punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents of the third and fourth generation. That is who God is. That's his nature. So Jesus actually does the same thing for us. And John, what's amazing is that Jesus gives his name, right? Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. And then he says his nature. And I'm going to put these on the screen so you know. And guess what? He uses the word I am to give us his nature. And these are the, I'm going to put on the screen right here. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And I don't know about you, but I'm reading those, and honestly, I get like pumped up as it gets going. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And then it's like, and the true vine. And I'm like, I don't garden. I don't understand gardening. Anybody in here like to garden? Anybody? Anybody just really good at growing weeds? <laughs> yes? Okay. That's, that's y'all are my people, just trying to find them. Why the vine? Why would Jesus use the seventh thing to describe himself as the vine? And what's crazy is this is actually the last conversation that we're about to look at in just a second. It's the last conversation Jesus has with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And he's like looking at all of them and saying, I am the true vine. And what he talks about in this passage of scripture is actually the chosen analogy for how spiritual transformation works in our lives. So we're going to look at it together. So if you have your Bible, go ahead, hold it up. Hold it up in this room. Come on, everybody. If you're online, hold it up. Hold it up. I was going to do a Mother's Day Bible drill, but Miles got everyone to stand up. So how about this? If you do not have seasonal allergies, turn with me to John chapter 15. Everybody else, hold it up. Keep it up. Paul says, I might boast in my weakness. Hold it up. Seasonal allergies means seasonal friends. Let's go hang out inside together somewhere. Everyone turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to read this together about a vine. John chapter 15, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you had any wonder why I titled this Remain in Me, he says remain in me like 10 times, and it's so good. But I don't want the familiarity that you have with this passage of Scripture, if you've been in church a long time, to let you miss out on what he's really saying here and what he has maybe for you today. It's so good. Verse 1, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. What does he mean by true vine? So at this point, Israel was known as the vine that was removed from Egypt. Isaiah 5, uh, Psalm 80 talks about this vine. But what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm the true vine, meaning that you no longer need the blood of Abraham to have access to the Father. All you need is my blood to have access to the Father. That means who's the gardener? God is the gardener, right? So what is that? Jesus is the vine, just so we're still following. What does he say in verse 2? It says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, if you have a NIV Bible, the, verse, or the word that says prunes, if you look down below, it says he cleans. It's another way of saying that in the Greek. He cleans. So what does this make us? Verse 5, we are the branches. Why does the branch exist? Think about this. Why does the branch exist? To bear fruit. But think about this. If God is the gardener, Whose job is it to bear fruit? The gardener's job. He starts the work. That means he also finishes the work. All the glory of the garden, if it's flourishing, who gets the glory of that? The gardener. I think so many of us read this passage and immediately we jump into, I got to do all this stuff to get God, like make myself look good, and I got to do all this stuff to be good enough for God. And I think he's saying something different. What does the branch do? Nothing. The branch just stays connected to the vine. He just stays in communion with the vine. Jesus is the vine. That's why he says in verse 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, if you've heard a word, you know, so many times it begins to kind of like, you're like, do I understand that word, remain? Uh, maybe your Bible says abide. Um, if you didn't like SAT prep <laughs> growing up, uh, another word is to stay put. It's another way to say that. So to stay put in me. I will stay put in you. I love that. It's another way to translate that. So go with me here. Again, what does that make you as a branch? If God is the gardener and Jesus is the vine, it means that the blossom of your humanity isn't you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does it say? Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from Jesus, that means that we can never be whole. That's so hard to understand. I was actually talking to Miles this week about this. I was like, man, I, I'm trying to wrestle with this passage and the scripture. and It's kind of complicated, you know. You got gardens, you got all this stuff going on. And he actually talked about this guy named John Eldridge. 
And so if you ever heard of John Eldridge, you might have heard of him because he wrote this book called Wild at Heart. Um, in the book, it's all about, you know, being manly and <laughs> venturing after Jesus. And, you know, that's good for me, but, like, I'm wearing skinny jeans, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I, get, I get it, but, like, you know, it's all right. So, I mean, if you're upset that turkey season is over, then that book's for you, all right? So, <laughs> Wild at Heart is great, but he also has this, you know, book called Beautiful Outlaw where he talks about the outlaw of Jesus. And he uses this analogy, the vine. And he says this, and I think this will hit some of you so personally today. Jesus has... No intention of letting you become whole apart from his moment-to-moment presence and life within you. Wow. Let me read it again. That was was good. Jesus has no intention of letting you become whole apart from his moment-to-moment presence and life within you. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So, before we get to the how we're going to listen to God... I got to answer the question, what is the fruit? What is the fruit? Anybody else thinking that? Like, what is the fruit of my life then? Here's what fruit is not. The fruit is not the accomplishments that you have in this life. The fruit is not the awards that you get. The fruit is not even the mission trips you go on. It's not the service projects you're a part of. It's not the community groups that you've been a part of. It's not all these things that we all love to acquire, all the accomplishments and the awards, and then say, oh, all for the glory of God. You know, it's not any of that because why? That still has something to do with you. What's amazing is that a relationship with Jesus means that Jesus lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That means that as you grow in your relationship with Jesus and as you continue to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, what's true about the Holy Spirit becomes true about you. It means that all of a sudden your life begins to be less about you and more about Jesus. It means that more as you come alive in Christ, And as you begin this process called sanctification, you become more holy as Jesus is holy. And your blossom of humanity is actually Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's so good, but it's so, we overcomplicate it so much. So if you need just a simplistic way of saying that, it's this. Let what's true about Jesus transform what's true about you. Let what's true about Jesus transform what's true about you. What does verse 6 say? If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And this is not a judgment thing about hell and about if you don't have fruit in your life. Why? Because the word's already been spoken. Verse 3, I'll clean you with my word. It's already been spoken. That means everybody in here, you still have breath in your lungs. That means you still have an opportunity to surrender. That means you're still connected to the vine. That means you still have fruit that can actually be born through your life. And so don't miss that by saying, what does he say? He says, to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so as a college and community pastor, what gets me really excited is discipleship. And that's like the biggest buzzword ever in the church culture. Discipleship. What is discipleship? I want to be a disciple. What does that mean? So what is a disciple? A disciple is not just somebody who wants to be like their rabbi. It's someone who wants to literally become them. And it's hard for us to understand, but what it means is that literally your life becomes Jesus' life. If you are a disciple of Jesus in this room, that means whatever Jesus does, that's how you model your lifestyle. What he wants to do in and through us is honestly open us up to the power of his Holy Spirit and walk in and through our lives. And we miss out on that because, what? We get caught up in some of the actions. 
when he wants to transform the attitude. He wants to transform the attributes of who you are. So what, what do we do as a disciple? A disciple's whole life is based on a set of lifestyles known as disciplines. And I know so many of us in the church culture, we've heard that word and we're like, I just got to do enough to get to God to hear, to hear his voice. But what's so powerful is that that's not what he's saying here. And that's not what he's talking about in remaining in him. See, because what does Paul say? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I just want to challenge you real quick. What fruit do you see in your life? This is a question I want you to wrestle with this week. I want you to ask it, and I want you to spend time with Jesus and saying, hey, look, in this area of my life, what doesn't look like you? Because the reality is, is that I think a lot of us, we get so caught up in trying to do things for God. But the reality, if you just sat with Jesus and said, Jesus, is there, is there love in my marriage? Is there joy in my finances? Is there a kindness in my relationships with my coworkers? Is there patience with my kids? Is there self-control in my thought life? See, what's powerful is that Jesus wants to transform you. And the more you look like him, the less you look like you. That's the best news ever. It's called sanctification. Welcome to the church. And what's so powerful is that we have the opportunity to actually create space to hear from Jesus. So the disciplines. The early church called these spiritual disciplines. You know what a spiritual discipline is? It's an invitation to Jesus to disciple you. Jesus, I want you to disciple me. That's what a spiritual discipline is. It's as simple as that. You know the question I get all the time? Hey, I need somebody to disciple me. And I'm like, have you tried Jesus? So many people come to me and ask me the question, hey, give me an older man, give me an older woman that I can just pour out, aka word vomit all over and then feel better about myself, when in actuality, you don't even want to do the work in the first place. And what's so powerful is that when you say to yourself, you know what, Jesus, I want to become like you. Show me the way how. You'll be amazed what he says. Spiritual discipline is your invitation to say, Jesus, disciple me. And guess what? It's not about you. When you give him the space in your life to speak, it becomes about him. And he begins to speak. And it's so good. So spiritual disciplines, if you have been tuned out for a second, spiritual disciplines are not your obligations to be disciplined enough to then hear from God. Spiritual disciplines are opportunities to experience who Jesus already is and let that transform you. It's so easy and so complicated at the same time to just say, God, let you, I'm going to let you be you in and through my life. That's what it means to remain in him. I'm going to let you be Jesus. I'm going to be me. I'm a branch. Can't do anything. But stay connected to you. So for all the people in the room who are like, you still haven't given me the how. I need to know how to listen to God. I'm actually going to tell you the how but it's going to start in who Jesus is and not what you can do. So I'm going to put back up, who is Jesus? This is Jesus, right? This is him. So how do I let what's true about Jesus transform what's true about me? So how do I create space for Jesus to be the bread of life? How do I hear his voice in that? What do you do? You fast. Fasting. Fasting is literally removing something that's becoming a distraction or literally removing something that you need so that every time you feel that, you know, that grumbling in your stomach that you're hungry, you might fast from food. What does that mean? Your ears are all of a sudden super open. It's crazy when your stomach is grumbling how your ears can literally be open. Because every time you're like, I need some food, and you're like, well, Jesus is my bread of life. So every time you need that food, you're just like, God, I'm going to let you be you. I'm going to let you satisfy. I've been looking to this world to satisfy. I love that name that we just heard. I'm going to let you satisfy me, Jesus. I'm going to let you be the bread of life in my life. 
Number two, the light of the world, telling. How do you create space? I wanted to put evangelism up there. I wanted to put evangelizing up there because what's crazy is that when Jesus becomes the light of your world, you begin talking about it. And if you want to create space in your life for Jesus to actually speak to you, it's amazing when you begin talking to other people about him, how he speaks to you while he speaks through you. It's amazing how when you begin to get up here and share your story, we did this with baptism, when the people start talking, all of a sudden you're drawn in a little bit more. But what's, what's so powerful and so amazing is when you sit across from somebody and you, you open up, and then all of a sudden you hear Jesus talking to you. See, when I was a senior in high school, I didn't want to do this ever at all with my life. Definitely not. And Miles looked at me. He was like, hey, man, you got you to get on stage and tell your story at our youth group. And when I was a senior, I got up on stage and I said, here's the deal. I have a ton of doubt about who God is. My mom has breast cancer. I don't know what to do with that, but I'm just going to continue to trust. You know what happened? Person after person came up to me. Hey, I've known you for like 10 years, but I didn't tell you this, but my dad has cancer too. Hey, I, I, I know you, but my, my parents just got divorced. I've been struggling in this way. It's crazy when you begin to tell your story. And you've done this in community group. If you've been in a good community group where you tell your story and then the person after you tells 100% of their story, and you're like, hey, I'll retell my story. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's amazing how you can create space in your life by evangelizing, by preaching the gospel. Because what I've learned is that when you actually share the truth of Jesus with somebody else, it's usually for you in the first place anyways. So telling, the next one, the gate for the sheep. How do I let Jesus be the gate for the sheep? And this is kind of confusing in a little bit, but you're going to see why. Confession. Confessing. See, because Jesus actually provided a sign, a miracle to go along with this one. Actually, he did with all of them. But the gate for the sheep, if you didn't know this, there's actually a sheep gate in Jerusalem. And right next to the sheep gate, right inside the gate, is a pool. And inside that pool is where all the blind, the, the paralyzed, the lame, they would all spend time around the pool, hoping that somebody would come down, an angel or somebody, would stir up the waters and they'd get some healing. So that was like the goal, right? Well, Jesus goes down there, and he walks up through the gate, walks up to an invalid, and he says, do you want to be well? And the man says, I have no one to help me. He says, pick up your mat and walk. But then he says something I think we need to hear today. Then he says, stop sinning. Stop sinning. What's amazing is confession. James talks about it this way. If you confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed. You're already forgiven, but you'll be healed. You want Jesus to be the healer of your life? You want Jesus to be the gate to freedom from addiction, from porn, from alcoholism, from all the things that are in your life and your family's story? You want him to be the gate? Guess what? Confess your sins to one another in community. It's powerful. But it's so hard. The next one, I know, we're, we're cranking along, right? We're doing good. All right, the good shepherd. If I want him to be the good shepherd, this one's so simple, praying. The sheep will know my voice. They will hear my voice and they will know it. Maybe this is the summer where you actually do a prayer journal. Or you actually learn what it looks like to sit in silence before God. Solitude with God. Praying. The sheep will know my voice. Do you know Jesus' voice? Have you created space to hear it? Because what's crazy is that's where you find peace. On the other side of giving up control and just needing your next step, he can be the good shepherd of your life. The resurrection in the life. This one is, is going to hit me. I'm going to tell you why in a second, but this is worshiping. Worshiping. How do you let Jesus be the resurrection in the life? Let's see. When dead things rise from the grave, you hit the ground in worship. And what's powerful is this actually goes along with Lazarus 
And for me, this is actually the one that's been hitting me personally so hard. Jesus is becoming the resurrection of the life for me right now. Because my, my mom, the one I talked to you about, the one I talked about breast cancer with, she was cancer-free for like 10 years, and it came back. And you guys have your stories. You, you understand. And, and my mom was about a month ago in the hospital, um, and she was alone because of COVID. My dad couldn't be there. I couldn't be there. Only a couple of nurses were there for seven nights in the middle of kidney failure. And so I'm t- I'm, I'm, she's, she's calling me and she's saying, hey, you won't believe what happened. See, her life verse is Psalm 30, verse 5, which is weeping may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And what's so amazing is in the middle of the night, she said she woke up and it was light in the room and there was this presence of God was tangible. She began to worship and she said, I'm not, I'm not alone, God. I'm still with you. You're the resurrection. You're giving me life. And what's crazy is a nurse came in and was like, why is the lights turned on in here? And there was literally no lights were turned on. And the nurse began talking to her about how Jesus is actually transforming her life. And they began to talk about it. And you know what's amazing about that? That's a great story. It's still reality. It's hard. She got out of the hospital after seven days. But you know what's amazing for me personally? This is how good God, this is how good God is. I'm listening to the new Maverick City album on like repeat. And I'm just listening to it, listening to it, listening to it. This is amazing. And I'm praying about my mom and I'm thinking about my mom. And the song called Million Little Miracles comes on. Where he's talking about, I got miracles, I got miracles, a million little miracles. He's literally talking about one, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. I can't even count them all. I can't even count them all. And the first time I hear the song, out of nowhere, one of the lyrics of the song is, you heal my mom. And I'm like, guys, you're so good. You did heal my mom. Ten years. Cancer free. I'm like, if you did it, I mean, I got clothes on my back. I got food on my table. I'm good. I got breath in my lungs. My mom has breath in her lungs. We're good. Even if she goes tomorrow, he's still the resurrection, still the life. Yes. It's so powerful. When you let Jesus transform the dead areas of your life and transform them into rivers of flowing, living water, that's what it means to let him transform you and not try to earn it yourself. And I still got two more to get through. So the way, the truth, and the life, and I don't love this word up there, but studying, studying. This is really all about devotion, all about devotion to God. Because actually he talks about a royal official that comes to Jesus, and he says, hey, I need, I need you, Jesus. I need you to come heal my son. And what does he say? He said, you don't need me. You just need my word. He says, take my word, go on your way, and your son will have life. And what happens? This is, again, how good God is. He's on his way to see his son, and a message comes out to him and says, your son's already healed. He was taking the word. I love that Jesus talks about go and make disciples. It really means going on your way, make disciples. And what does he say at the end of that? And I will be with you always. Remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we have to create space to study his word because if you want to hear the voice of God, stare at his words on a page. They'll jump out at you. And the last one, the true vine. The true vine, resting. Talked about this a lot, resting. You got to stay put in his presence long enough to hear him. Maybe Sabbath, create some rhythms. But I want you to notice there's seven things up here. What happened on the seventh day? God rested. And what's so powerful about this is 
We could look at this and then be like, okay, here's, here's my how, and then just check off the box. You, made, you took good notes and not do any of it. This is like a menu of options, but what's so amazing is this is all invitations into a relationship. It's invitations into experience who Jesus already is. So it's not like, hey, I go do this and then I'll get that. So I just want to challenge you. Look at this. What part of Jesus do you want to experience? So the better question is this. What part of Jesus do you want to transform you? What truth about Jesus do you want to transform you? Because it's so amazing is that it's not rooted in your ability, but it's rooted in Christ's identity. It's not rooted in your ability to be disciplined enough. It's Jesus. He's saying, come on. I want to know you. Know my voice. Come here for me. And what's so powerful about, they're not up there anymore, what's so powerful is the vine. Think about this. What did God do after he rested? He formed man, and then what? He planted a garden. And in that garden, he walked with us. Look at it, Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Which, by the way, the cool of the day means walking with us in the fresh wind of the day. I saw that this week. So powerful. The cool of the day. Think about this. Jesus, the last thing he says to the disciples is, I'm the true vine. See, he's calling us back. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. Jesus is actually calling us back to the garden. He's calling us back to what happened in the garden. God walked with us. God was present with us. God knew us. But what's so, what's so incredible is that not only is Jesus calling us back to the beginning, pre-sin, pre-fall, a vine does what? A vine grows. What, what's the fruit that comes from a vine? Grapes. What do grapes make? Wine. What's the first miracle that Jesus did on this earth? He turned water into wine. See, the last statement that he makes goes with the first miracle that he does. So not only is Jesus calling us back to the beginning, calling us back to the garden, where God literally walked with us in the cool of the day, he's also taking us into what's going to happen in the future garden. See, what's so powerful is that not only is the vine, like I said, what, what happens? There's a wedding the end of the story is that there's going to be a beautiful wedding. And I just want to read it with you guys real quick. Revelation 21 says this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. You know what's amazing too is that John also wrote Revelation. This is John doing it again, saying, I can't wait for that wedding. So from garden in the beginning to the garden that's in the end, what is there? A vine. 
The vine is Jesus. And on him hang all of humanity, or the branches. In the beginning, God walked with us. And in the end, God is going to dwell with us. But as of right now, God lives in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So let the fruit of your life become the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. This can all be true about you if you let Jesus transform you. So I was talking to my family, and my grandmother is going to be here for the next service, and I was talking to her, and so my grandfather passed away. Um, he passed away as soon as my ministry was starting, a.k.a. I went to seminary. And I was going to seminary, and I get a call that he's not doing well, he's paralyzed. And I go home to see him, and this is the final time that I get to see him. And he prays over each member of the family, and then he would give us some little bit of advice. And for me, this is the spiritual father of so much. He was a deacon at a church that I was saved in. This is the guy who has basically helped lead me to Christ. And I don't know what he's going to say, but he pulls me in really close. He can barely, barely speak loud enough to whisper. He pulls me in. He says, Gage, my advice for you, stay close to Jesus. That's all he wanted from me. That's all I want for you. I think that Jesus is inviting us into a relationship that's better than anything you've ever experienced. It's more loving, more joyful. And the power of following Jesus is on the other side of obeying. It's on the other side of actually doing this. And so we're going to sing a song in just a moment. And it's actually going to call us back to the garden. Because I believe some of you, that's where you need to start. You need to start by saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Dwell with me again. I need you. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for who you are. Father, I thank you that we can actually draw close to you. That you know us. That you want us. Father, I pray for the person in the room who the whole time I was talking was just thinking about all the reasons why. They're not qualified for a relationship with you. Father, I pray that we would draw near to you as you draw near to us and we'd be able to experience, we'd be able to taste and see that you are good, that you are putting all things back together. You are making all things new. And in the end, when we celebrate and we worship, Father, I pray that you'd receive that. God, with just a heart with compassion. Father, you're so good in our lives. So, Father, I pray you continue to make sure that we don't miss out on what you want for us. So, Father, I pray in the next few minutes we'd be able to just sit and receive what you want to say. Thank you for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the opportunities that we have. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.